We heard Pastor Andrew talk about the power of words. And maybe some of you have been just cut down, chopped down by some hateful, horrible words. You know, the Bible says the tongue can be a fire. It can set ablaze. Rumors can start. Just uh, words of hatred. But I know that there's others of us, hopefully all of us at one point in time, have, have had words really build us up, lift us up. Sometimes certain words change our lives forever. I'll never forget when my wife Janet, and we're going to be celebrating 30 years this fall or this spring, never forget the first time she said, I love you. Man, my world hasn't been the same since then. Sometimes we take words for granted. Sometimes we throw them away. Sometimes we misspeak. But does God ever misspeak? What do we think about the Word of God? What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, the Word of God? You know, after I read Scripture each and every week, I say, the Word of God for the people of God. And then the people of God say, That didn't sound very enthusiastic. I, those were, Let's try it again. The Word of God for the people of God. All right, all right. So let's, let's encounter this word this day. And the word today comes from Hebrews. And I'm going to be in the fourth chapter, but right away in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, you know, we, we see God reminding them, or the, the, the author reminding people that God spoke. God spoke to their ancestors, and God continues to speak. God had just recently spoken through Jesus, and we know now as resurrection people that God continues to speak through the Holy Spirit. So let's encounter this word of God, starting with verse 12. Indeed, the word of, the, of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin." Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The word of God, absolutely. There is that line in that text that I just read, all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. And this is just a little glimpse inside my head. All week, I've been remembering a movie that came out in 1987. I've seen it more than once. It was called The Dream Team. It had Michael Keaton, it had Christopher Lloyd, and it had Peter Boyle. And you know Peter Boyle, if you watch Everyone Loves Raymond, it was Raymond's dad. Or Mel Brooks, that was Frankenstein and young Frankenstein, right? Remember that? Well, in this movie, the premise is there are four people who are institutionalized with mental health issues. And and it maybe is kind of not really politically correct the kind of depiction they have, but the, the caretaker there agreed to take four of the, the inmates or the patients uh, out to see a, a Boston Red Sox game. And as soon as they left the facility, something happens to the man, and these four patients are on their own in the streets of Boston. Has anyone seen this movie, 1987? How many were alive in 1987, just by a show of hands? 
And Peter Boyle's character, uh, you know, every time he got wandered away from the others, they would find him, and he was buck naked, stark naked, saying, we all must stand naked before the Lord and give render an account. I don't know. I thought it was funny. <laughs> but have you ever had to render an account? Have you ever been called into an office or called into a room within your own house? And been asked the question, what do you have to say for yourself? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. It can be very uncomfortable. You know, it's almost like we are exposed, like we are naked. And, and we come home and we say, they say, how'd the meeting go? And, and we say things like, they completely undressed me in there. Those are uncomfortable moments. I have had to stand many, many times before someone and give an account to answer the question, what do you have to say for yourself or what did you do? Now, I grew up in a house with a judge and an executioner. I called one mom, I called the other dad, judge and executioner. And there was time and time again, my dad was disabled, he got sick when I was eight, my mom was busy, so I kind of ran wild. I was uh, an active child uh, growing up as a young man. And and time and time again, I had to go and give an account, render an account before my father, knowing that I was guilty, knowing that, I was, that what I had done had disappointed them, but not always. There was a Saturday morning when I was in high school. I don't remember if I was a junior, senior, or sophomore. Um, all I know is that for the varsity football games, I was dressing but not getting into the game much at that point. And so if you didn't get into the varsity games on Friday night, you played uh, JV football on Saturday morning. And so there was a Saturday morning about this time of year, maybe exactly this time of year. And after the game, my friend Chad Armstrong said, hey, do you want to go to the Badger game? They're playing Illinois, just like they did yesterday. And I said, sure. So I, I went, we went into the locker room, got changed. I took a dime. See, kids, before there were cell phones, you have to have coins. You'd put them into this phone, and you would dial, and then you hope that the person on the other end would pick up. And, and I said, hey, I just got invited by Chad to go to the, the football game. Is that okay? Sure. My parents, you know, they met at Champaign. They, they fell in love there on that campus. So we drove to Chad's house, we got into Chad's father's luxury car, we drove to his airplane hangar, we got into his private airplane, we flew to Champaign, Illinois, and we got a car that was there at the airport and drove to the football game, had seats right about the 50-yard line. It's a fantastic day. I don't remember who won, but I certainly had a great time. Well, my dad turned on the game back home, thinking I was at Camp Randall in Madison, and he, when he heard the game was at Champagne, he thought that I had lied, bold-faced lied, right to him, and he had no idea where he was. And I could tell when I got home, he was waiting for me to get home. And so my mother said, your dad wants to see you. <laughs> okay. So I walk into the room where, where he was, and he, he tried to give me just enough rope to really hang myself. He said, you went to the game, huh? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the score? I told him what the score was. He goes, how was it? I said, oh, it was great. He said, Matt, that game was in Champaign, Illinois. And I said, Dad, I know. I flew on a plane, and here is my ticket. See, 50-yard line, my ticket. He had nothing to say about that. <laughs> with great boldness and with great confidence, I could proclaim the truth because I had the ticket. Now, I'm about to take a real abrupt turn here, but I want you to remember that ticket 
because I'm going to come back to the ticket at the end of the sermon today. So when we read this text, maybe you've already forgotten it because it was so long ago, we see two real themes. One is a big theme, and that that big theme is that God's Word is living and active. The Word of God is living and active, and I'm going to spend most of my time talking about that, and then there's going to be this second little thing that, that knowing this gives us great boldness to approach the throne of grace. And so for those of you who came here today just dying for a three-point sermon, I apologize. I only have two for you today. So let's take a look at this. The Word of God that is living and active. This Word of God helps us to see who we are and who we are not. But this living, breathing, active Word of God also gives us the ability to discern what is vitally important and those things that maybe we give too much energy to that really don't amount to much. And once we know the difference, we can move forward with boldness. And so the Word of God is living and active. And we know that the Word of God is more than just a book. Thanks be to God that the Word of God is more than just what's contained in these pages. This Word of God is alive and active in three ways. It, it is a powerful force to be reckoned with. It is also, it kind of convicts us and, and gives us some judgment, but it is also a tool that we can use to discern. And so how is the living word a force? I want to read something to you, and I'm going to just right up front tell you I didn't write it. This is something that many of you have in your own homes. It's a study note for the Life Application Bible, but it speaks it so plainly about this force. I want to share it with you. The word of God is not simply a collection of words from God, a vehicle for communicating ideas. It is living, life-changing, and dynamic as it works in us. With the incisiveness of a surgeon's knife, God's word reveals who we are and what we are not. It penetrates the core of our moral and spiritual life. It discerns what is within us, both good and evil. It demands of God's word. The demands of God's word require decisions. We must not only listen to the word, we must also let it shape our lives. And I have been with you just long enough to know that the force of the Word of God has really led you to do some phenomenal things. I've heard your stories about how this Word of God has made a real difference in your life. But the question is, if this Word of God is a force, a power to be reckoned with, something that cannot be completely channeled ever because it is on the loose, out there, in front of us, behind us, within us, if it is so alive and so vibrant, why do so many preachers make it so boring? I, I stand convicted too. You know, I do my best, but there are some weeks where it's like when I'm preaching, it's like I'm trying to get this plane off the ground from uh, Milwaukee to get to Chicago, and I just drive it very slowly down 94. You know, why is that? Why is that? Why does that happen? At this continuing education event I went to a couple weeks ago, I heard some words I didn't like to hear. They said, 10 seconds of boring is enough to lose someone for the entire sermon. And so thank you for extending grace by giving me 12 seconds of boring before you completely tune out. Now, friends, it's a good thing you weren't here last night because last night's sermon, uh, two out of three dentists agree that it was a bore fest, a bore fest. But there's something about this word that is alive and active that is so much bigger than me. You know, I have found that when I write a sermon that I think, now there, that's a sermon, that's a masterpiece, and I can't wait to get in the back and shake your hand and hear all the great things you have to say, it's usually, 
Nice sermon, preacher. Nice sermon, preacher. And when I'm up here and I feel like I haven't connected with you, when I'm up here and I feel like I'm just not making this point, come on, I've worked on this, you know, 25, 30 hours, and how can I still not get it? It's in those times that I'm reminded how alive and active the Word of God is. Because it seems like in those moments there was something that was heard that I know I did not say that spoke directly to the soul of a man or woman in the sanctuary. We know that there are many exit points in a sermon, and many of them are good. Maybe something happens in the first third of a sermon, and you hear it, and it's, it's all you're going to hear that day. But it's okay, because you needed to hear that. I take great comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit is alive and active as the Word of God, working through everything that we experience to draw people closer to God. You are an active participant in the living and active Word of God in the preaching moment. But it is more than just a force. This Word of God really can convict us. Now, there is a Greek word. Actually, they were all Greek words, but there's one in particular, and it doesn't matter what the word is, although I'm going to tell you it's kritikos. Kritikos sounds very similar to a critique. And that's the word that is used here, critique. The living God the living word, the active word of God, when we encounter it, as some say, it's like putting our soul on an operating table. Our soul on an operating table. This living word is active, probing, slicing, carving, refining with a spiritual wisdom that is fresh and alive. It is a spiritual surgery that is performed daily. And sometimes there are scars that are left behind. Sometimes it leaves us wounded, raw, certainly vulnerable because we know that there is nothing that is hidden from God. God knows everyone, everywhere, and everything. But isn't it comforting to know that God still loves us? It is a great regret that for many people when they go to church, their only experience is being told how bad they are, how sinful they are, how dirty they are, how condemnable they are. But the Word of God is not about condemnation. It is about, it's about commendation. Commendation. Think about this word crit, critique, critic. There are all kinds of critics in the world. And we think about an art critic, a movie critic, a theater critic. And those people are in this because they want to find something good in what they are looking at. They don't know, there's no art critic that goes wanting to find something bad. There's no theater critic that goes to the theater and wants to find something bad. No, they go there and they want to find something good. And you know why? Do you know why they're a theater critic? They're an art critic? Because they love theater. Because they love art. And they want to find that goodness and so too it is with the kritikos of God's word, living and active. God does not want to find something to condemn. God is a people lover, and that's why God gives us this critique. To not find us worthy of condemnation, but to find something in us that is commendable, that is true, that is pure, that is right. Yes, there is that judging, and yes, we are laid bare, but we need to know this great judge, this great critic of the soul is one who loves the human soul so much that he took it as his flesh for us. So yes, this living word of God, alive and active, it is a force. It does give us this critique. But friends, it's also useful for our discernment. 
for our discernment. The word of God helps us to realize what is important and what is not. And when we can tell the difference, man, can we move forward? That's what Paul was trying to get across uh, when he wrote to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 1, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Knowledge through discernment, through this word of God, to look at everything through the the lens of God's word, this force. John wrote this little book and said, you know what, don't believe everything you hear, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they truly are pure and holy and of God because there's a lot of false information that is out there. John, in writing his gospel, says, Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, free, make you free. Absolutely, this discernment. And so, yes, God's word is alive and active. It is a force. It, It helps us to see things the way they are. It helps us to discern. And so once we have done that, the secondary point is, as the scripture said, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Now, there's another Greek word here, parousia, parousia, and that is the word for confidence. That is a word for boldness. And this text lets us know that even though we are laid bare before the judge, we can have confidence. And what is the source of that confidence? The source of that confidence is the fact that that God speaks most fully through Jesus, where Jesus speaks, where, where, where God speaks, Jesus is there present. And this Jesus fully entered into the human condition. The God that places us under this critique is the God who loves us and sympathizes with us. Now the Hebrews, because they were Hebrews, they, they thought about this great high priest. Remember in the Old Testament, the great high priest? Who one day a year, one man, one man, one person, one day a year, would go into the holy of holiest places, the holiest of holy places, and why? For the atonement of sins for that year. Once a year, one man go into a special place where God was believed to dwell and offer forgiveness for the entire year. Now, I imagine if you're walking around with a, a lot of junk for a whole year of wrongdoing, that day has to feel pretty good. But friends, what they're trying to convey in this is we have one who is even greater than the high priest. We don't need to wait for one day a year to have one human being go in and make this offering. No, we have a living, breathing word of God. In the beginning was the word, and that word is logos, the truth about who and what God is. And Christ is superior to any human priest. We can go daily before this great high priest, Jesus Christ, and lay our soul bare, and we will be healed and patched and made whole The parts of our lives have been fractured, put back together piece by piece, each and every day. And that should give us great confidence and great boldness to go before the throne, knowing that God already loves us so much that he gave his only son. And so we can have this boldness, but do we claim that spiritual boldness? Paul was writing to a young pastor, Timothy, and he said, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, other translations say timidity, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline because we know what really matters and what doesn't. 
to the church in Ephesus. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through our faith in him. Yes, friends, once this living and active word lets us to know what is truly right, the truth about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, we can approach with boldness and confidence. Joshua said to God's people, be strong, be courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so friends, I want to bring it back. We can have boldness. We can have confidence, even though we have been critiqued and judged. And why? Because we have what? The ticket. We have the ticket. And just as I had no fear in being in front of my father that day because I had the truth. Friends, you all have the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord and that the word of God is living and active as a force. And so, friends, listen for that word of God, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, and allow that word of God, which is pure love, pure truth, to flow through you and out to the world that needs it so desperately. May it be so, which is why I say amen.